to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You have a visitor in the studio today. We don't often have guests yeah. on our show. Special Very uninvited rare. guest in the studio today. I, uh, my studio is in a building that is separate from my house. and That's a very Vulcan way to put it. The building <laughs> that is separate from my house. Yeah. It, it's weird because it's in the backyard. It, it's a, a big like cinder block building that mm-hmm. my studio takes up one corner of. And I left the back door of the building open because I've been enjoying being able to like sit in here comfortably without having the heat on uh, or the AC. Like it's it's a very nice temperature in here right now. But uh, to record, of course, got to close the doors so that we don't hear, you know, my neighbor's leaf blowers and whatnot. And you don't want them to hear you either. <laughs> I, like uh, what's worse, do you think, a leaf blower or <laughs> one half of the greatest generation? I get the sense that my neighbors on one side are, are quite religious folks, and I'd be very embarrassed for them to hear what it is I do over here. Is that the neighbor that we're pretty sure doesn't like you and your wife? <laughs> no. That's the other neighbor. Oh, no. So you're besieged on both sides with we're a in, type of neighbor that... We're, that no, we like the neighbors on the one side. We just haven't met the other neighbors. And I think uh-huh. it's because they work nights. And so, like, the times that I've gone over to, like, attempt to introduce myself, they haven't come to the door, probably because they're sleeping. The few times you've seen your neighbors, they've driven their garbage to the end of the sidewalk <laughs> and then put it in the garbage can, beaten the hell out of it, and then drove their car back into the garage. Where's the lunatics? Us! All this is to say, Adam, that I went to close the door and... Did I just make a Burbs reference that you didn't pick up? I just I, want to be, be clear I, about this. I have this. no idea what the Burbs is. Oh my god. You're familiar with early Tom Hanks, right? Tom mm-hmm. Hanks when he was in comedies? Paprika! Yeah. The Tom Hanks of Bachelor Party, for example. <laughs> yeah, the Money uh, Pit. The Money Pit, yeah, this is that era. This is all that same era. Uh, uh-huh. The Burbs was in that family of filmography for him. And it's great. And as a new homeowner, I feel like you could appreciate some aspects of that movie. Okay. Maybe I'll check it out. I'll put it on my list. But I went to close the door anyways, and a fucking lizard was sitting like kind of right in front of the door to the outside. And I was kind of trying to like use my shoe to give it some encouragement to run out the door into its natural habitat. And it kind of went like part way and then like juked around me it was a uh, lizards don't take commands <laughs> it's like a neon dion the lizard wow juked right around me and it ran into my studio and what it did was it ran under a big pile of uh, sound foam that i had in the corner worst case scenario oh yeah lizards love that shit i picked up all the sound foam and uh, it's not there <laughs> i have no idea where it went <laughs> look as a as a relatively newly minted californian are, are lizards a nuisance species? Are they going to breed and make noise and eat all of your sound foam? <laughs> What's on the table here? I don't, I, I don't know. This is not a type of lizard that I'm familiar with. Um, 
Does Darwin like eating lizards? Because maybe you get a lizarder as a dog. Yeah. Bring him in there. He start going to work. He is very interested in chasing squirrels and birds and has, as far as I can tell, zero interest in a lizard. He's got no taste for the cold-blooded animals. Yeah, I guess so. If I can kill this one and get him to eat it, though, he could be turned. Is he going to do throat singing while we're making show? Is that what these lizards do? I guess we're about to find out. I don't think that lizards make sounds wow. here, as far as I know. Outside of the scampering, I bet. <laughs> you hear some of that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It gave me the willies a little bit because it really wriggled, but I used to have lizards, <laughs> so I don't know. And then I was like, should I just pick it up with my hands? And I don't know if it's a poisonous type of lizard. I don't think that they have those in the Los Angeles area, but... I don't you know. You get wriggle willies? This is a thing? I'm home alone today. If I was poisoned by a lizard, I would be SOL. Wow. Is that why you're doing pod while standing on a chair? I, I set a chair in a, a kiddie pool and I filled it with water to make a moat <laughs> and I'm standing on top of it. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's what you should be doing. Yeah. Well, I'm cutting this marin short. Ben, because I know I'm editing this episode, and <laughs> holy shit, have I been on a run of uh, of two hour eps? I'm looking to break the streak with a tight, funny episode. Mm. That's what we're here to bring you. Mm. I think we can accomplish both of those goals. What do you think? Mm. All right, I'm going to take the wheel of the pod car okay. and drive us down Star Trek Voyager season one, episode nine. Prime factors. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> well, Adam, this is an episode that opens with, with our friend BLT chilling with her friend, Seska, who keeps getting speaking parts <laughs> on this show. One of the few scenes of Seska not accidentally killing someone <laughs> by a transporter. Yeah. She doesn't seem to be a social pariah, though. She's hanging out. Having a laugh. I guess the captain maybe was worried that the guilt would hang over Seska. The captain loves seeing her have a laugh. I think the captain knows how important it is for her to be on Seska's good side. <laughs> you don't want the four fingers of, of transporter to slip. Oh, you yeah. know, you get one of those fingers slipping out of their road. All of a sudden, you're going to yeah. rematerialize as a pool. Oh, no. He only three-quarters materialized. <laughs> Somebody's finger must have slipped. I'm sure some some nerd has put this together, but what did the tracks do on the transporter pad? It seems like there should be one. The four really is nerve-wracking. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't correspond to quantity. It's not like when four people hop on the pad, you're using four fingers, and you're no. using a single finger for a single person. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah. That's not dramatic. I wonder in Star Trek Bridge Crew what the mechanic would look like for that. Is it like Guitar Hero where you're raising them and you kind of have to keep them all on a target the entire time? <laughs> I wonder if the webbed finger aliens make the best transporter operators <laughs> because those fingers are staying in one place. Mm, you're not yeah. going to have any mistakes on the hand wave. Yeah, you don't want like a flipper hand alien transporting you anywhere. No. No. I like that BLT and Seska are just straight up checking out some ass in this yeah. scene. Yeah. They're thirsty for some gentlemen. They kind of start talking about the other two horn dogs on the ship being Tom Paris and Ensign Kim, who actually went on a date with the Delaney sisters. Well, that lasted all of 15 minutes. I hope we never see the Delaney sisters yeah. and that it's just a running joke. 
please keep doing this. They're so much more exciting as a thing we get to imagine than they are than they would be as somebody that we actually met. This idea that Tom Paris is only interested in holodeck programs having to do with old-timey France and old-timey <laughs> Venice is interesting to me. I would bet that he was more of a Dave and Buster's Suite program type of guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Harry, I uh, programmed up my man cave. And Harry's just like, come on, dude. <laughs> Harry is interested in the Delaney sisters only so far as they can play games that, that give him the most number of prize tickets at the end of the date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Delaney sister who's the best at ski ball is the one he's most attracted to. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Delaney has the shipwide record for sinking the most hoops in that basketball game. What have you been telling people? They tell a story about Harry falling over the side of a gondola rather than closing a deal with Jenny Delaney. I think he's being modest. I think he did the deed. I think Harry Kim just wanted to get wet in order to take off his clothes and change into dry clothes. (laughs) Oops, I made a sexy mistake. (laughs) Exactly. This is consistent with a theory I'm having that I think was best articulated by Steve Sanders in Beverly Hills 90210. Which is that still waters run deep and kinky, and that (laughs) Harry Kim is a secret player. He just doesn't put it out on Maine the way Tom Paris does. Tom Paris, a lot of bluster, a lot of uh, trying to promulgate a reputation for himself that feels performative. Yeah. I think low-key Harry Kim is putting in the work. Yeah, I mean, if you're Harry Kim, you want to let Tom Paris do this. <laughs> you don't want to get into a stick measuring contest with Tom Paris. You just let him do his thing and then quietly fall into the Venetian canals whenever you have to. Yeah. Very shrewd. This is a great uh, moment because we then cut away to the captain and Tuvok sitting on the other side of the dining room, seeing these interactions taking place. And the captain is really excited about this because it represents a kind of social integration between the Mayquis and the Federations that she was really kind of keeping her fingers crossed would happen. I wonder how many takes Kate Mulgrew got on this look because her crooked, unblinking creep stare here (laughs) is a delight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's also fun that Tuvok is so sanguine about it. Just like, yes, I suppose that the crew doesn't all want to kill each other is good for morale. Good point, Captain. (laughs) Yeah. Better horny than violent. (laughs) It really struck me how refreshing it is to return to horny Trek, because I think that's one thing that Deep Space Nine had a little bit of at the beginning, but seems to have abandoned. And it's something that is so much baked into the DNA of TNG and TOS that everybody's like kind of horn dogging around the shows. I feel like Deep Space Nine was romantic, but not horny. Yeah. And Voyager is definitely horny, and up till now, not really romantic at all. It it feels like a fucking high school. (laughs) This is like going away for summer camp, because they're so far from home, and they're cooped up together, and there's no place else to go. The Delaney Sisters is definitely a summer camp type bit. That kind of bonding should improve performance and maximize efficiency. So all this horn talk gets interrupted by a distress call. And when Janeway and bridge crew get to the bridge, they're greeted by a man in a very deep V. 
Yeah. Why? It's so effective when costuming sets the tone in the way that this does. Like, you know half that you need to know about Gath just in these first few (laughs) seconds in, in terms of his posture and his costume. And they're being hailed by a ship that's been putting out a distress signal, and he's mm-hmm. there to say, like, we're not in, in distress, you're in distress. <laughs> and in the background of his ship, there's, like, a fern and maybe, like, a like an organ or, or piano or something. <laughs> like, like, the bridge of his ship is, like, set up for chilling out. <laughs> this guy has the vibes of the person at the party who's like, you look like you could use a massage. Yeah. And that should set off some alarms here when you're far from home and you don't know who these people are. Yeah. Why are you being so nice is a question that you wish that they would have asked, at least in a McLaughlin group or something. Nice enough to make you paranoid is a definite quality that people with street smarts are highly attuned to, you know? And someone from Seattle is highly sensitive to moving to Los Angeles, I want to (laughs) say. Like, everyone has different versions of this. Right. And it just so happens, Gatherell's welcome wagon treatment is both kind and also... Pervy. Something to be very slash defensive of. Yeah. I love that they chose an actor with an accent for him because they're not a loafy alien and i've always wondered why star trek tends to avoid this Mm -hmm. it seems like a star wars quality yeah star wars does it a ton gath has the vacant eyes of a sex tourist in a third world country and that may be the thing that i'm most (laughs) paranoid about going forward in this episode like it's not just his kindness but it's an expression about him yeah The first stop is in the mess hall where Neelix is initially threatened that maybe Gath is here to replace him as uh, chef on the ship. Right. (laughs) If I'm Janeway, why do I make a diplomatic first stop with Neelix? (laughs) I guess on the one hand, Neelix is the one guy in the quadrant who would probably have copped this guy or his people before. Right. But still, like, not a great first impression that I want to make, if I can help it. I think that it's kind of an interesting dice roll because he shows up with this food, right? And, like, the point of this scene is about how fucking great the food is. And if you're the captain, taking that guy to show Neelix what real food is all about is a pretty funny yeah. <laughs> power move. Yeah, very little Kess and Neelix happening in this episode we won't be long Neelix. captain janeway seems very quick to take gath up on his offer of shore leave which i guess i don't falter for there there seems to be an opportunity and this is something that's articulated by neelix like look these guys probably have some seeds that we can use for the grow up <laughs> we're putting together on board the ship so if for no other reason it may be a good idea to just like go to friendly planets who may have a variety of things that we can grow and just do some trading, you know? Yeah, and when they start tasting the, like, dried mushrooms and dried apricots that this guy's brought on board, they are really excited about the opportunity to add some of his plant game to their hydroponics bay. On the planet surface, it is a real encounter at Farpoint kind of situation, right on down to the scarf bazaar and the textiles and shit. I was, like, looking for grockler zorns around every corner. There's coffee in that material. Yeah. I'm shocked that this planet didn't turn into a horny jellyfish. 
Yeah. Captain Janeway isn't the only one that's falling for the generosity of the Sakari and its many textile wonders. Harry Kim meets up with a foxy meteorologist playing a theremin yeah. in the plaza. I guess Jenny Delaney and he don't have an exclusive thing going yet because Harry is like, I like that wand you're using on your meteorological instruments. Can I uh, use the wand a little bit myself? They just do this for a second, but I thought for sure there would be a little bit of uh, Yudana teaches Harry Kim how to bowl by standing behind him and like doing the bowling <laughs> motion. Like... <laughs> Star Trek is full of aliens that are like the suspicious aliens are the Romulans, the warlike aliens are the Klingons, the logic aliens are the Vulcans, and these are for sure the hospitality aliens. Maybe most typified by the character Jarrett Hotel. This is my associate, Jarrett Hotel. And he's there to kind of serve as the go-between for the rest of the crew because Gath has kind of one thing on his mind. And that is Janeway. He really, he's like the one character in this episode that seems hornier than Harry Kim. It's fun to see the main characters in Star Trek shows get seduced or people attempt to seduce them, you know? Yeah. When I see you wearing that scarf, my pleasure will be greater than yours. Is this your idea of sex? And and there's quite a bit of that going around in this episode. So it, it's a fun ep. By calling Jarrett Jarrett Hotel, are you like saying he's like Jarrett Marriott or something? Like, <laughs> like he's got that hotel money? I, th I don't think his name is spelled with an H, but the way Gath says it, he's like, this is my assistant, Jarrett Hotel. Jarrett Hotel. When we pan over to Jarrett, I thought for sure it was Kyle Mooney. He looks so much like Kyle Mooney to me. <laughs> wow. And he wouldn't be the first SNL alum to have been on a mainline yeah. Star Trek series. So, like, I couldn't rule it out, but sadly not him. The age thing is, would, would have lined yeah. up a little bit wrong, though. Yeah. So there's a dinner invitation extended and accepted for later on that evening. Yeah, and Harry Kim is uh, really getting to know this young lady well. I think whenever you're a costume designer and you see shore leave in a script, mm -hmm. you got to get excited, right? <laughs> because what Harry Kim is wearing here looks like shirt mail, the weakest armor you can wear. Like, <laughs> like there's like this scaly yeah. cotton plating effect happen. Yeah, it's like clapboards on a house, though. Like, fortunately, it's all like oriented so that it's not going to catch crumbs. You know, right. Unlike a cummerbund, which is this exact same kind of pleating just flipped upside down, and then at the end of the night you get home and take it off and realize that half of the dinner roll that you were trying to eat at the, uh, at the wedding wound up in your belly. Harry Kim pitches his new lady friend the idea for Star Trek Voyager, and I'm thinking I would <laughs> save that pitch for not the first date, you know? Because <laughs> it is... It's pretty heavy to lay on a person, right? Kind of a big bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She seems to take it well, though. Like, she, she's, like, kind of thirsty for just the tale of it. And she's like... May I have your permission to tell others this story? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't care. Yudana is so excited about hearing the story that Kim has pitched her that she wants to use it as a podcast idea like right away like <laughs> wants to begin it and is very upfront for wanting permission to make it yeah i like that part i mean 
definitely feels weird when you have an idea with somebody and then you like see them off doing it and you're like oh i <laughs> interesting i didn't realize that was on the record <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think also some naivete on harry's part who doesn't realize that any story you tell on a podcast people will then take as some kind of deposition in the case of the pizza thief right yeah I've uh, I've decided to call myself the Pitzergler. Rubble, <laughs> rubble. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say the pizza was cold, so we'll have to assume it was extremely hot and had been put there an instant before he saw it. Pitzergler is a word that conjures a visual that has something to do with like me gurgling the melty cheese yeah. of a pizza topping. Yeah. Pitzergler and Pissergler, two oh, yeah. very similar nicknames, but one is for Bashir and the other is for you. Yeah, <laughs> let's not cross those streams. <laughs> <laughs> this awkwardness over a stolen idea is quickly glossed over when she takes Kim by the hand and walks him over to a transporter pad where they beam away to a really beautiful forest scene. And they are set upon by these euphoric winds. Like, like, it is not only a really beautiful place, it's a place that makes them feel good almost immediately. She's like, let's get out of this dump. You think this planet is horny? Wait till you see this. That is an amazing feeling. What? What's happening? This is a place she calls Alastria. And the thing about Alastria is that these winds blow before sunrise. And they really do the trick. The downside with these euphoric winds, though, Ben, is that, like, once you fuck on euphoric wind, all of their sex pales in comparison. Uh So Kim's got to be careful here, I think. He's going to be chasing the Elastria dragon for the rest of his life. Harry Kim is looking all around for a Venetian canal to jump into, (laughs) and for no other reason than to just cool off his junk, because the winds have really blown up the mast. Yeah. He gets a little distracted. He, in, Rather than dumping himself in water, he dumps himself in kind of some science. And he's like, "What? Like, where exactly are we? Because it had right. just become night when we left there. And now here in this place called Alastria, it is not. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, time zones. Different on different planets. And he's like, what do you mean by different planets? And she gives the distance Alastria is from the planet they just left in terms of, like, a multiple of her home planet's distance from its sun, Mm -hmm. which Harry Kim is able to, like, in his head, convert to light years on the fly. He's like, 40,000 light years. I was amazed that Harry could do that. That means he remembered... The specific, like, number of astronomic units between Sakaris and Sakaris's son and could remember what that was as a function of light years, which is fucking incredible. Harry Kim doesn't fuck around with lengths and distances. You can tell that he measures from the base and not the <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and he's like... The implications of this are obvious to anybody that's been watching Voyager. These people have a tens of thousands of light years instantaneous travel technology. He can't fuck with home on his mind. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, he's like, I was like telling myself it doesn't count if you're in a different quadrant, but I do have a girlfriend back home, and if I'm only 
two jumps of the space folding technology away from her, I really need to like zip it up. You could forgive a desert island fuck with no hope of rescue. It's less forgivable when you're on the desert island and the rescue helicopter is incoming mm-hmm. and it is out. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue four to base. I found them and he took <laughs> it out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, that's kind of an interesting, like, character arc that Harry Kim seems to have gone on in the background because mm-hmm. there was an early episode scene where Tom Paris was, like, pitching him on the idea of going and doing something with the Delaney sisters that Harry was quite resistant to. Right. And he seems to have put that away, but now it's back. Yeah, it's back in a big time way. And so is Harry Kim. Yes. Who has arrived back on the Sakari planet, and interrupts what looked like a possible smooch between Gath and Captain Janeway. Yeah, I definitely got possible smooch vibes here. He's like, listen, Captain, great news, really exciting. These people have a technology that can get us home. We call it a spatial trajectory. And basically, it's a space-folding technology. The theory works on something as big as a starship as well as it does on people. They can just jump home. It seemed so clear that Gath was going to go in for a kiss with Captain Janeway that it made me wonder, when are we going to get Captain Janeway's first kiss on the show? Wow. Captain Picard, not a lot of kissing in TNG. Captain Sisko, a lot of kissing. Maybe more kissing than Captain Kirk. I think that's a quality of just how many episodes, how right. many more episodes that Cisco yeah. got to do. Kisses per episode, I think Kirk probably still has. Right. That's a record that will never be broken. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if this is going to be a thing that they tease out on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Harry Kim is given the burden of a lady friend back home. But we met Tom Mervins in the very first episode of Star Trek Voyager, <laughs> right. the guy with the dog waiting for Captain Janeway back home. And there is not even a whiff of guilt about this possibility. I mean, they could have an open relationship and that's fine. Right. But none of this is established yet. None of it is established. She doesn't seem to have expressed any guilty feelings about this, though. Like, Harry definitely did. Nor would she have anyone to share that with either. And that's another difference. Like, Captain Janeway doesn't have a friend to confide that thing in. Like, Tom Paris, I'm sure, would love to be that confidant. (laughs) But he's only Harry Kim's sexual Sherpa that he knows of. But the Sherpa shoe is on the other Sherpa foot in the (laughs) Harry Kim-Tom Paris relationship. And the prime directive shoe is on the other prime directive foot in this episode because they're having this conversation about, hey, this technology is basically what we've been looking for right in front of Gath. Right. And he's like, well... That's cool and all, but uh, we don't really share our stuff. Yeah. These are our toys, and uh, we don't lend them out. This scene was so interesting to me because not only is it the prime directive heads of two cultures, you know, having their way of being butt up against each other, but the very real and modern quality of a person or a group of people being nice and generous to another person or a group of people and then getting huffy when they're denied something further, you know? Yeah. And that tension begins here. Like, what? I, you mean, like, the niceness and the gratitude I've extended to you is suddenly, like, not enough? <laughs> 
Yeah, the way Gath puts them back on their heels by saying, like, why are you, like, putting me in this uncomfortable position of having to deny you the thing that you need the most? It's like the argument in Curb where, like, you can go into anyone's refrigerator for a liquid, but you can't go into someone else's refrigerator for food. (laughs) I feel like the transporter technology is food. Yeah. Everything else is liquid. Yeah. Surprised you didn't offer. And our canon of laws strictly forbids that. I don't think you're about to offer. So... Nothing to do but have a McLaughlin group. If you want. And it's an interesting one. It's it's all the senior staff. And Tuvok is definitely sitting there, like, having made peace with this. Like, he has accepted that they are not going to be shared this technology. And so, like, let's just get over it and move on. And the rest of the gang is not into the idea of just moving on. I love how this scene is blocked because if I were on the bridge crew participating in this McLaughlin group and all of a sudden my captain got up from the table and just started staring out the window for a while. (laughs) I feel like I wasn't doing a good job at this meeting. It's a good point. And the observation deck on the entrepreneur was not as well suited to this kind of move as the one on the Voyager. Like she sits with those windows to her back. So it's not like she's like going alongside the conference table to to turn away from the crew. There's a recognition of their own hypocrisy here, W slash R slash T, the prime directive, that is really interesting Star Trek universe building here. But we're kind of pulled back in from the hypothesizing and philosophizing to a pretty plain spoken quid pro proposal which would be like we know these guys love stories our main computer is full of them how about we give them some nice books in Mm -hmm. exchange for this technology would that work it's arms for hostages or stories for transport right those are the two kinds of trades that we're capable of making first bit of hope we get here yeah This is Harry Kim's idea, and they're like, wow, shit, like, that's actually kind of an awesome call. All they want is novelty, and they're kind of desperate for it in a slightly sick way, and we've got the entire literary canon of every member species in the Federation in a fucking computer chip on board. (laughs) We We have awesome buying power here. I want to believe that there's someone aboard whose job it is to like screen out some of the media and books that may not be good. Like <laughs> Godfather three. No, like, like just give them the first two. Yeah. Then their, their assistant is like, but what about the new director's cut? Is that going to be able to make it? We need the Sakaris to believe that there was never a Rocky five. I'll arrange to meet with Gath. At the end of this meeting, BLT seems unusually edgy about their chances of getting the tech. Yeah. And, like, I've been wanting this for a long time, right? The burbling of the Maquis values in the background finally, like, coming to a boil and potentially threatening a mission or the livelihood of the crew in the process. And while yeah. I don't feel like BLT is, is ready to put anyone in danger, the values of of her splinter group are starting to come to the fore in an interesting way. Absolutely. She tells the captain, like, all right, well, I'm going to go, like, surreptitiously get some scans of this platform. And the captain quickly puts the kibosh on this. Maybe I can figure out how it works. You'll do nothing of the sort, Lieutenant. We're going to, like, try and do this in a diplomatic, official, above-board way. We are Starfleet, and uh, BLT is is kind of put in her place in, in a way that, like, you could really feel 
the seeds of resentment being planted. Right. We cut to a scene of more food-based diplomacy mm-hmm. where Captain Janeway has given Gath a slice of pecan pie and Gath lifts the fork of pie to his mouth, takes a bite, and is immediately like, Oh! <laughs> oh! That is so sweet. <laughs> that is incredibly sweet. <laughs> Captain, have you ever considered using a salted pecan? I feel like it would provide a little bit of balance to this unbelievably caramelly pie. I actually feel like I have a piece of pecan, like, stuck in my soft palate that I have to, like, <laughs> scrape out <laughs> with a finger. Exquisite. Plying him with the temptation of stories gets Gath to maybe, but uh, yeah. he's got he's to kind of check in with the other uh, leaders of his society. The expressions of Catherine Janeway in this episode are... Incredible, and the second great creep stare by her happens here. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are a mood. Yeah, when she like narrows her eyes a little bit yeah. as she sips her coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Hey, speaking of staring, Seska is just staring off into the middle distance down in engineering thinking about the potential of this device yeah and uh, kind of distracting herself from her work with with all of this potential uh, she's in kind of a prime directive violating reverie what does it mean to be an earringless bajoran well i remember ensign Rowe wasn't allowed to initially yeah. but then she kind of earned enough respect from riker to violate the uniform code so I guess maybe in the Federation there aren't as many exceptions for sincerely held religious belief in terms of how you present yourself uh, professionally. Yeah, I don't know. That got pretty heavy. (laughs) (laughs) I was just asking a a harmless question, Ben. (laughs) Jesus. Well, my brain is poisoned, Adam. At what point did you know that BLT was going to blow this? For me, it was this scene. It's hard to articulate why exactly I felt that sense of foreboding, but I think that there's something to the format and there's something to the behavior and where it happens in an episode that made me think something bad is going to happen and BLT is going to be involved. So it begins with Seska, BLT, and Carrie hypothesizing about this technology. And, you know, when it's just a hypothesis... You can talk about anything. Yeah, we're just bandying ideas about this space folding. It must leave a subspace signature of some kind. Right. That is their get out of doing real science free card, I guess. Yeah. And like from the relative privacy of engineering where the captain isn't likely to walk in unannounced and they're just off in some dark corner together, they start, like, actually scanning this. And they do, in fact, get some interesting readings that give them an idea of how this technology may be working. Engineering must be a great place to have semi-private conversations because of the sound of the warp core, right? Yeah. It's like a very loud pink noise machine. (laughs) Yeah, you get up on that catwalk and speak in a hushed tone with your buddy. Nobody's going to overhear that. That's where I'd want to have my meetings. This all may be moot, though, because the next scene is Harry Kim being brought by uh, Udana. Is it Udana? 
Me Donna, you Donna. <laughs> Down to the planet where Jarrett Hotel Jarrett Hotel pays off his existence as a character in uh, trying to make a kind of black market deal. He wants to give them the trajector, which is the name of this technology, in exchange for those stories. And uh, it would sort of put him in a position of being the wealthiest man on the planet, story-wise. And it's worth uh, betraying the Sakari Prime Directive to do that for him. Many people believe that rules should be flexible enough to meet the needs of the moment. You alluded to this earlier. The Kyle Mooney character becomes Oliver North here, trading trajectors for stories. Yeah. And Harry Kim is a rule follower. So he says, like, listen, dude, I definitely want this thing. Please don't take the offer off the table, but I am not the person to authorize this transaction. Smash cut to Kim telling Paris, BLT, and Seska his doubts in the lunchroom, like just before the meeting that Kim's supposed to have with Captain Janeway. Yeah. And this is like the perfect group of people on the ship to start to draw battle lines because Seska is like, we're Mayquis, let's fucking act like it. Who gives a fuck about the Prime Directive? Let's go get that trajector. It does not matter. We're just copy-pasting some files from our fucking computer. It costs us nothing, and it could earn us everything. Yeah. And interestingly, BLT is kind of starting to hew more to the Starfleet way of thinking. She is like, I'm in the chain of command. I'm a senior officer. This is not what we are doing here. Roxanne Dawson's performance in this episode, I think, is really low-key strong because... Watching her absorb the screw turning that Seska doles out to her scene after scene, you like you can really feel it. You can feel her being worn down by this. Yeah. She can be resistant to it only too long. Ben, in a couple of the scenes in the cafeteria, my eyes kept finding this giant rusty distilling vessel in the background. Yeah, I saw Do you know that what too. that is? I don't. I thought it was very interesting that it was so shabby chic. Your eye really finds it. And it seems like even if you're setting up your like makeshift kitchen on a Starfleet ship, somebody from engineering would lay eyes on that thing and be like, no, I'm fixing that and putting it like back to brand new working order. Like those guys that like clean up rusty old tools on YouTube. Part of it is it's not really in soft focus at all. So you can really make out its patchiness. Yeah. I mean, it looks like one of those, like, espresso machines that you see as, like, a centerpiece in a in an Italian restaurant. It's meant to look kind of, like, old and, and quaint and, you know, recall a simpler time kind of a thing. Yeah. Which I feel like was a very popular vibe in this part of the 90s. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of what it's telegraphing. But it's, it's definitely weird and definitely eye-catching. You're getting the whole sense of ambiance here, not just the coffee itself. So Kim's meeting with Captain Janeway and Tuvok doesn't go great. I mean, it goes fine for Kim because he rats out Kyle Mooney and <laughs> lays it all out there in a way that Captain Janeway is really appreciative of. And after she dismisses Kim, it's up to her and Tuvok to kind of chop up what they're going to do next. And Captain Janeway really laments her situation and the principles that she's struggling to abide by. And 
Tuvok's like, look, the gath thing isn't off the table yet. There's still plenty of pie in the commissary mm-hmm. to ply him with. Like, he hasn't said no. And so Tuvok in this scene kind of talks her off the ledge and encourages her to continue to chase down that road until it ends. Yeah, and he kind of makes the case that, like, there are scenarios in which Starfleet officers violate the Prime Directive, but, like, nobody that's on the other side of that is subject to the Prime Directive. So if if we deal with Jarrett, it's him breaking his law. We're not breaking anything. Like, we might feel some misgivings about being a party to it, but it's not really our problem. So let's just keep that in mind that, like, there's an issue of principles here, but, like, we're desperate enough that should be something we like give serious consideration to this episode really plays around with hope and false hope because at the end of this scene you're like oh yeah maybe there is a chance it's totally like when you're a kid and you're like begging your parents for something and like your dad is like well i'll I'll talk to your mom about it tonight and Mm -hmm. like the next morning you're like well how did it go what are we talking about here and it's like oh yeah it, uh, it didn't come up and you're like what this is the only thing i'm thinking about how was this not the first thing you talked about after bedtime to apply that analogy in the next scene captain janeway is like so gath did you talk to mom and gath is like yeah not only did i not talk to mom mom's never coming home again (laughs) (laughs) because gath is like the magistrate's pretty hard to get a hold of and uh, not only that i'm not particularly motivated to get a hold of them to begin with and then gath shoots his shot like like, do I even really need to get a hold of the magistrates? Why don't you stay? You remember that kiss we almost had? We could get a lot closer if you stayed. Really like to have that kiss. Here's a little preview. I'll kiss the back of your hand. By the way, Gath is very handsy with the captain in a way that I kept wanting her to be like, yeah, get off me, you freak. We don't know each other like that. I don't enjoy being judged like this. It's very upsetting. Gath is like, I'd like to kiss you for your benefit, because that's our culture. (laughs) And this begins to illuminate their differences. We've gotten a whiff of it up until now, but these differences are made ugly under the harsh light of this moment, because the Sakaris are experienced swingers. He's got this, like, thing that they don't have, and is doing that empathy gap thing where he can't imagine what it's like not to have that thing. He's like, why don't you just stay here? It wouldn't be a problem for us if we were in your position. I mean, he can't put himself in her shoes. Not at all pleasurable. Do you think there's a beat missing from this episode that has something to do with the power imbalance of their ships and their cultures? Because at no point does Gath ever articulate fear of having the technology taken from him by force. Yeah, the Voyager being in orbit doesn't ever come up. They're not talking about bombarding the surface. I guess he just is, he's inherently trusting, right? Like he extends trust as a reflex in a way that I feel like Starfleet's also kind of do. Mm -hmm. He comes from a pretty similar society to the Federation. They are like an open, trusting society that like assumes positive intent until proven otherwise and i think it would have been interesting to have them like compare phaser sizes or whatever but but that's never on the table that's not the that's not the way their relationship works 
this conversation turns into an argument that then gets pretty ugly. We're nothing more than the latest novelty. You're hostile and vicious. Because Gath embodies the sort of behavior that all Sakaris have low-key had, which is of not being interested in being a giver if it means not getting something in return. Like, they are actually, in fact, all about the pleasure of giving. It's never about the gift. And it triggers the third very interesting facial expression by Catherine Janeway as she calls for one very upset eyebrow to be beamed up. <laughs> yeah, she beams out like slamming a door, man. <laughs> like, You know, there has been a conversation between people in the Star Trek universe that went something like, yeah, we were fighting. And then she just beamed away without saying goodbye. <laughs> And I don't even know where she beamed to. Yeah. <laughs> and conversely, conversation drawers like, and I was so fucking mad, and I said one to beam out, and the guy was like looking at his phone, <laughs> and so I just had to stand there like an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, come on, ch- chief, one to beam out. Beam me out. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> it's got to be so great to leave a party. Just be beaming away. That's yeah, it. Yeah. I got to hit the head, and <laughs> you go in. And you don't quite pull the door all the way shut. And yeah, and then you're just gone, baby. You make that mistake once. The first person who beamed away by going into a bathroom after pulling the door all the way shut never got invited back to a party. <laughs> that is a major Star Trek faux pas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to leave that door open. There's a huge line forming throughout yeah. the party. And then <laughs> what do you want me to do? It's locked. It's been <laughs> locked for like 20 minutes. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. SCARVES. 
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that platinum. Get that low enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. On the Voyager in the Ness Hall, the little engineering crew that have been pursuing this kind of secret line of research talk about what's motivating them. And Carrie's got a family. Saskia's got a brother whose birthday she wants to be back for. Like, they're feeling really strongly about, like, one way or another, we got to get this fucking trajector and get the fuck back to the A-Quad. Captain Janeway has returned in such a cloud of angst that people are noticing Tuvok asks what the play is, and she wants to get the crew back and blow on out of there. Fuck it. Yeah. We're out. The trouble is, they've the crew is still down there doing shore leave, and they've kind of scattered in the wind in a way that is very useful for a episode trying to conceive of a third act, because it's going to take time to retrieve them, and that sets up more time for this conflict to resolve. I really loved Kate Mulgrew's performance in this moment, though, because, like, when I'm, like, mad at a situation and I just want to get the fuck out of there and put it behind me, anything holding that up is so unwelcome. And she is like, fine, just get them beamed up as fast as we can. I want to go. This is probably what I would use the ready room for the most, which is, like, <laughs> order given, I'm going to wait until that order is done. <laughs> I do not want to come back out of here until that order has been executed and we are light years away from here. But right. the engineering crew, BLT and Seska and Carrie, run to the transporter room and they're like, we do not have a lot of time. They've got the stories replicated and on isolinear chips and they're trying to beam themselves down to the surface when they realize that the controls have been locked out and the door opens to the transporter room and there is Tuvok and I was like, oh, doing drama! This episode does such a great job with establishing and dissolving the idea of Tuvok being the, the taciturn father disappointed in the kids yeah. and going rogue here. And Tuvok in this scene becomes so much more interesting than he's ever been on this show. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say it. Tuvok 
hella boring up until now. <laughs> Not much of a character. Like, establishes that he went undercover with the Maquis and, like, was interesting enough to do that. But for eight episodes ever since, he's just capable, serious security dude yeah i think it would be a good idea to not have seska run the transporter in this scene <laughs> because when she steps up there and uh, and cracks her knuckles i was like killing tuvok in this moment <laughs> would be a big time mistake i don't know how you explain that to anyone else <laughs> we didn't get the trajector and our t- security chief got turned to cat food and we don't know why so he takes the stories and Mm -hmm. beams down there they are nervously waiting for him to come back the captain is like get the ship ready to move and they're like trying to stall for time and a tuvok shows up i love how dialogue answers questions before they're even asked though because like they cross cut right back to the bridge after tuvok beams down and Chakotay's is like yeah tuvok's on the surface supervising the last of the crew withdrawing because as soon as he beamed down i'm like he's going the wrong way someone's gonna <laughs> know somebody's gonna be like hey what the hell i like that it was so efficient yeah and when he gets back the engineering crew like know enough about the trajectory that they've built some kind of interface for it right into an engineering console and plug it right in and basically what they're trying to do is convince the captain that there's something wrong with the impulse engines long enough to plug this thing in and get it going and execute their first jump. Their idea is that it's got a range of about 40,000 light years, so they'll need to do two jumps. But one of the first things they realize when they plug it in is that there's something about the crystal structure of Sakaris itself that enables this technology to work. And so they're only going to be able to get one jump out of it. And it's now or never. This is our only chance. How much tension were you feeling in this moment? I thought this episode did a great job in like compressing the time here into a stressful bit of business. It's awesome. And, And you're cutting back and forth from the bridge to engineering. The engineers are like shitting themselves trying to get this thing working. The captain is still in her huff about just wanting to get the fuck out of here. When the engines don't fire up, when Paris hits the go button, it's huge eye rolls from Janeway. And and we cut back down to engineering and they start the effect with the trajector. And they think it's going to work. And then... It does not. I can't compensate for the instability. When you see the Geordi smoke start up in engineering, you expect to see a blast door. Yeah. Where is the blast door when they start <laughs> evacuating engineering? That's what I want to know. If they'd sealed themselves in with it, they would have taken it to a whole nother level, I guess. But they don't quite get that far. Winds up being that uh, BLT has to grab a dustbuster and shoot the manifold. Plasma temperature at 50 million Kelvin. Shoot her! And she does, and uh, and it completely destroys the trajector, and all that's left is a whisk sticking out of a pile of mashed potatoes on the engineering console. I'm shocked that she got away with firing an unauthorized phaser on a starship, and the alarms didn't go off. I guess yeah. it's I guess it's the same alarm yeah. when there's a plasma leak and when there's an unauthorized fa- phaser being shot. It would have been duplicative. So yeah, they destroy their one chance and they're realizing that there's some stuff about the technology that they failed to factor in. It's got anti-neutrinos as well. And that means that it's like on some fundamental level, 
incompatible with the technology on their ship. We whip pan over to Seska and she's got two jugs of bleach that she's just <laughs> pouring over the scorched phaser burn. Yeah, yeah, she's like wiping fingerprints off of everything. <laughs> I'll start erasing the sensor locks. And BLT is like, no, like, I gotta go take my lumps for this because we took a gamble and if it had worked out it would have been high fives and hugs all around but it didn't and so I'm gonna go admit that to the captain and I think that like one thing I really kind of wished they'd talked about a little bit is if they had successfully stolen this technology and the Sakari knew that they'd stolen this technology they could get home and find that they have an alien enemy that is capable of projecting power over a much vaster part of space than the Federation is that fucking hates them. This is why I asked the question about relative firepower, because much in the same way that the Sakari never suspected the, that the Voyager would take it by force, the punishment for taking it by force is also an unknown. Yeah. If they had tried. I think it would have been really good to give the captain a moment to address that fact like did you not consider that the federation can ill afford to make an enemy that has a power like this it's basically like yeah what if they turn out to be as bad as the dominion or the borgs you know yeah yeah like we just don't know them that well i read that the sakari was going to be one of the three foundational antagonist aliens in star trek voyager i don't know if that's a thing that's actually going to happen, but that was the idea for them. Maybe they're kind of writing toward that. They're setting some groundwork for that or something. We have a pretty brutal scene where Balana and Tuvok admit their parts of the scheme to the captain, and Balana's punishment is basically don't do it again, and you're dismissed, and then the fucking wood comes down on Tuvok. I think that sells short just how much wood was coming for BLT. BLT definitely gets rocked here by Captain Janeway, but Tuvok jumps in front of that bus. Yeah. BLT thinks she's jumping in front of a bus, and then Tuvok pushes her out of the way and then jumps in front of that bus <laughs> and then tells Captain Janeway that he has also jumped in front of the bus that was headed for her. Tuvok is so good at being in trouble, man. Yeah. He's galaxy brains. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation. And it's actually really compelling. This would have been a terrible infraction for a captain to make. I'm totally willing to live with the consequences of that infraction if I had done it by myself. And what they talk about is really intense. Like she's saying, I can't have you be my right hand man and wonder if you are actually doing something secret on the side. Like, I need to trust the fuck out of you, and you just shook that trust. We have forged this relationship for years, and I depend on it. The social cheat code that Tuvok deploys here is so deft. Yeah. When someone wrongs you, and then they tell you that they did it for you, <laughs> you can see Janeway working this out. This scene is so incredible. I think it's one of the best scenes of the entire show so far for this reason. Because the idea of not only Tuvok jumping onto the ethical grenade so Captain Janeway wouldn't explode from it, yeah. but also, you know, I also saw a mutiny growing in strength and heading into a place that couldn't be put down. He martyrs himself twice in the same scene. It's such acting on hard mode to see two totally different takes from Kate Mulgrew yeah. to two totally separate characters 
where you're feeling just as much pathos, but in entirely different ways. I think it's just incredible. I really love this scene a lot. And the scene ends with her turning her back on him and dismissing him. Yeah. One last stare take from Janeway yeah. to close out the episode. But did you like the episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I love the episode. And it feels like a miracle when your antagonist is as much of a doofus weirdo <laughs> as Gath is. To set him up the way that he's set up, you're thinking, well, this is a cheesy first season TNG episode where the heavy isn't that heavy. He's just weird. <laughs> and the danger isn't very real. And you just sort of go through the motions and that's your Star Trek episode. But for the antagonist being the way he is and the episode to be as great as it is, I thought this was a really great episode. And I alluded to this before, but how is Kate Mulgrew not your first choice for captain if this is the sort of read you need that character to make? To me, this is when Kate Mulgrew becomes Captain Janeway. One question I had that I wanted to ask you is, what do you make of the sequence of episodes here? This is episode nine, and we're at this point with the captain. We're at this point with how desperate the crew is to get home and what they're willing to do yeah. in light of that desperation. Are you happy with the order of Eps, or could you have used this coming a little earlier? Because I think one of the things I've been craving the entire time is that Maquis burble that we yeah. haven't gotten. And now it's back in a big time way. It's what interesting. We are past the halfway point on season one. It's a, I think it's a 15 episode season. And yeah. it kind of feels like it makes sense as an episode nine if it was a 24 episode season. But it's definitely like the strongest episode so far, I think. And I think it corrects for some things that they got distracted from in previous episodes like remember like these are crews that are not a natural mm -hmm. fit for each other and these are star fleets that are s slightly desperate and maybe willing to bend the rules in ways that would be surprising relative to the way people on the enterprise d would behave yeah so yeah i, I mean i think it sort of feels to me like they kind of f figured a lot of things out about this season and this series in this episode that uh, they hadn't quite nailed down yet. And I mean, I really agree that like that scene at the end is a showcase for why Kate Mulgrew is such a great captain. And yeah. I bet they hadn't even broken the story for this episode when they shot the pilot, you know, like that's not really how TV used to work. They probably just worked the scripts out on a weekly yeah. basis as they came up. And this one just happens to be a total banger. Got to be exciting if you're in production and you reach this episode and you know it's not a question anymore. Yeah. You got the right person. Well, do you want to see if we got the right P1s for this episode, Adam? You never know until you read them. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Whoa. The message goes like this. You might think second life is a thing of the past, and you'd be right. <laughs> but friends of DeSoto love watching old things. 
Enter <laughs> virtual fireworks from Decure Creations. For some reason, literally hundreds of thousands of these have been sold. The gift for yourself, you didn't even realize you needed. And because I'm pretty certain nobody listening is playing Second Life, <laughs> I will give a 50% rebate to anybody who hears this and buys the fireworks. Message me with the code SCARVES after purchase. Wow. So there's virtual stuff in Second Life. Yeah. And this person is selling virtual fireworks. So don't be left out like the hood. Show some courage and try them. You can go to tiny.cc slash virtual fireworks to find out more. Man, I don't know if you've ever played Second Life, but that was like a massively multiplayer online game in like the 90s, I want to say. Maybe I mean, it's definitely 2000s? familiar to me as a zeitgeisty thing, but I never played it personally. Yeah. I Is it a thing you play even? Am I even using that terminology right? I think you have a character and it's kind of like a virtual environment that you can go socialize with other people in. But I don't remember if there were like game mechanics or not. I, I didn't play mm -hmm. it either, so I don't know. But it's like uh, you can still get some virtual fireworks for that. And I would encourage you to. What video game wouldn't benefit from virtual fireworks? Another timely P1 that we blew because this one they wanted to have read before New Year's of 2020. <laughs> we have another P1 here and it's from Sarah and it's to Brian. It goes like this. Brian, I cannot imagine anyone I'd rather pandemic parent with. This podcast prompted Brian to get me to rewatch every episode of TNG <clears throat> after only watching some of the original airing. We got ahead of the pod with DS9 and we made it through Voyager while pregnant and after Magnolia was born. By the way, the Voyager theme makes a great lullaby. Oh. Oh, I bet. Very chill theme. Yeah. Magnolia is a great name for a baby and and an adult, which they'll eventually grow up into. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, thank yeah. you, Sarah, and uh, thanks, Brian, for uh, spreading the love. Ben, our final Priority One message is from the friends of Did Joe Do. <laughs> it is to Joe, a.k.a. Captain Knuckknack, and the message goes like this. Oh, boy. Everyone knows 40 is the new 30. <laughs> what our theory presupposes is that maybe it's not... Keep on spatchcocking all chickens everywhere for another 40. <laughs> Dental plan! <laughs> wow. That great. message uh, requested in the Kevin Uxbridge voice. Yeah. You can make him say whatever you want him to say. Yeah, you really can. Well, happy 40th, Captain Nucknack. Yeah, we see Captain Nucknack's name in our P1s all the time. So, yeah. a beloved friend of DeSoto, sounds like. Indeed. Uh, well, if you'd like to get a P1, uh, we'd sure appreciate it. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, and it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a promotional message. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a Drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I can't get Kate Mulgrew off my mind. Like, <laughs> I can't get her performance off my mind. Yeah. And I know, like, a big part of the Shimoda is, is who's having the most fun. But when an actor puts in a performance like this, I've got to believe that she knows that she is throwing the fastball so hard. 
And what's more fun than doing the thing that you're best at at a very high level, you know? So I'm going to go outside the show and give it to the actor. Kate Mulgrew is going to be my, my drunk Shimoda for just an achievement in acting here that is great, that I hope is a tone setter for the series to come. Yeah, it's really good. My drunk Shimoda is Ensign Murphy. Who's Ensign <laughs> Murphy, you ask? Well, he's the guy that BLT is kind of ogling at the beginning of the episode. Oh, that's he, Ensign Murphy's butt. It's not for that reason, though. Like, he's like one of the first things you see in the episode. He's getting a plate of food from the window at Neelix's restaurant. He, like, accepts the food and looks at it with a level of, like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that... I laughed within 30 seconds of firing this episode up, and it was because of this extra's performance of, this is the food? <laughs> and then walking over to, to go suffer through it at, at his table while getting ogled. I had to, like, rewind and, and rewatch because I missed what Seska was saying to BLT because I was laughing at the way this guy decided to play this moment. That's big fun. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the direction you give anyone taking a plate of food from Neelix from Just here Just imagine out. that this is the most disgusting food anyone has ever handed you. And that's that should be your motivation. If Janeway and Tuvok are so concerned about morale, you'd think that they would place the food as a higher priority <laughs> going forward. Doesn't seem to be having the desired effect. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, one thing that also doesn't always have the desired effect on our show is the game of Butthole's Will of the Prophets. It's where we figure out how we're going to talk about the next episode. And uh, while I head over there, Ben, why don't you tell us what the next episode's going to be about? The next episode is Season 1, Episode 10, State of Flux. The crew realizes there's a traitor on board after Federation technology turns up on an enemy warship. I mean, by traitor, they mean all of the Maquis that are among the crew? <laughs> or, do, or by traitor, do they mean traitor? Like traitor as in what Neelix used to do before he became the head chef of the ship? Sounds innocent enough. Is he like, what? I just sold some stuff. That's what I do. Yeah. I didn't know you were sensitive about it. It sounds like it's all a big misunderstanding. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Ben, we're up in the higher altitude squares of the Game of Buttholes. We're on square 85 at present, where just a few squares ahead, we have a Measure of a Man episode. A few squares after that is a Traveler episode, which would jump us a handful of squares forward. So, rocky road ahead of us on our way to the Mornhammered episode, the 100th square on the board. I've got the die in my hand, and I'm going to give it a roll. Roll it. I have rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which jumps us over the Measure of a Man episode and places us on the doorstep of the Traveler episode. So for you and me, it's going to be a regular rolled episode. Wow. I really like this new lifestyle you have of not rolling ones every single time. Yeah, I think someone got under the hood and changed the programming <laughs> here. That's the only explanation. <laughs> it's unusual. Uh well, I'm looking forward to a regular old episode next week, and I can't wait to watch, see what happens when somebody betrays the ship. Who's your vote for betrayer? You probably know, don't you? You're just keeping it to yourself? I think I know who it is, but I don't want to say. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. 
I think we've gotten very few peripheral characters. I think it has to be Carrie or Seska. I think that's going to be <laughs> my vote, just because we don't know anyone else, yeah. really. Yeah, it would be kind of a cop-out to like introduce a red shirt and then <laughs> have them turn out to be the worst person on board. Commander Macduff. That would be a bad job. It's got to be someone that we at least sort of care about, right? Yeah. Well, uh, that'll be next week. Uh, in the meantime, head to MaximumFun.org slash join if you'd like to support The Greatest Generation. Uh, you can also uh, watch our weekly, sometimes more often than weekly, Twitch streams on twitch.tv slash greatesttrek. We're doing that a bunch lately and having a ton of fun doing it. And we also have social media accounts you can follow at Greatest Trek on Twitter and Instagram. Those, of course, run by our good buddy, the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes hilarious baseball cards based on every episode and he posts them there he posts them all over the internet for folks to enjoy and they are a delight he's a paid employee by uxbridge shimoda and we're able to do that because of all the support the show receives at maximumfund.org slash join so please do that the music you're hearing right now is made by dark materia it's the card song the music that you hear as the theme song for the Greatest Generation Voyager, as well as all the interstitial music made by the great Adam Ragusea, who is a bona fide YouTube celebrity. Yeah, <laughs> much bigger celebrity than either of us. I'm pretty sure he's going to ply a uh, garlic bread recipe out of you one of these days and get some Pranica on Ragusea action. But uh, in the meantime, I have contributed a couple of things to the channel, so you can see me you over sure there. sure have. Yeah. yeah, you've done great. You've done great as in your guest spots over there. I, I always have fun. But I think that's all we have for the folks today. So tune back next week for another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where either Adam or I totally sell the show down the river, but it's a mystery to find out which one of us. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think I'm a heavy favorite there on the sellout. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.